Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, that's good wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we've done it. It's another episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. Get excited for this one because we have University of Iowa head coach Tom Brands today. Coach Brands has won three NCAA titles as a head coach of Iowa. He was an Olympic gold medalist, the 1993 world champion, and then as a competitor wrestling under the great Dan Gable. Salute, Dan Gable. He was a three-time NCAA champion. What more can you say about this guy? Let's get to the interview. But before we do, it's Fan of the Week time. And this week's Fan of the Week goes to Nick Cole out of Riverside, Iowa. Thank you so much for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. Also want to give a shout out to DB Digital. That's DB Digital. It's a digital agency, and they're redoing the website for the podcast. And what I love about it is it's run by a wrestler, Dalton Bullard, who was a really gritty wrestler in Illinois in the mid-2000s, multiple-time state place winner. I know he put a knot on my head. And he's just doing a great job. And so if you need any type of digital work, websites, logos, etc., give him a shout. He can be found at dbdigitalagency.com. Now, without further ado, let's take you to Iowa City, Iowa, to the office of head coach Tom Brands. Peace! Coach Brands, honored to be sitting with you here, sir. Let's just start with kind of the beginning. I know Randy Fakus got you involved with the sport. How did that all kind of transpire? Actually, it was two guys, a um, guy that bought my dad's business from him. My dad ran a body shop in Sheldon, Iowa, um, learned the trade from his dad, who learned the trade in the Navy. And then Richard Morgan bought the business from my dad. And Richard Morgan and Randy Fakus, you got to give them credit. Um, one was kind of a hobby bodybuilder, Richard Morgan, and then the other one was a crop and hog farmer that could tight waste and chicken wing you to death. <laughs> that was Randy Fakus. So um, it was a natural when they came over and I have a twin brother, as you know, it was a natural for us. And we didn't even know what we were getting into as far as the history of wrestling in Iowa. We didn't know anything about it. We're first generation wrestlers. And so what time we, in your life is this? Is fifth grade? This middle is, school? Yeah, this is 11 years old. Okay. Yeah. And what's your first memory of Coach Gable? Um, Gable, the Iowa, um, you know, Randy Lewis was from South Dakota, but he was, you know, on the boycott team, mm -hmm. and, 
you know, Chris Campbell was on the boycott team. My first wrestling camp was in Lincoln, Nebraska, and Chris Campbell ran the whole camp. Okay. Um, and he was a Hawkeye. Yeah. And I remember seeing his discipline and his approach, and he would talk about Gable. But Gable was like, a, it was kind of like misty. It was cloudy. It was like, <laughs> I didn't know he was, you know, a bald guy with glasses, and I didn't know the story about his sister, and didn't know who Bob Siddons was. I was totally ignorant, um, Terry and I were. But we were both history-oriented, so it was a natural to be curious. And the first thing we did when we started to get the bug was figure out the highest you know, place you can go in, in wrestling, and that was the Olympic Games. And so that's when you, know, you research that, and then all of a sudden you find out there's you know, wrestling in the Olympic Games, which you watched you know, skiing, downhill skiing, and you watched you know, maybe gymnastics or whatever, and then all of a sudden you're in a wrestling camp with Chris Campbell. So that's kind of how it started for you. Yeah, you see the impact that boycott had because yeah. that's the year we started was in seventy nine eighty. You think about Chris Campbell beat Mark Johnson in the NCAA finals. Then Mark Johnson comes here as a GA. He was also part of that eighty team. So a lot of connections on that uh, nineteen eighty Olympic team. Yeah, I mean it was. It was, uh, you know, you know, you look at Johnson, he didn't avoid him either. He could have maybe went one way or another to, as a matter of fact, that was when the rules were, you could go down a weight between the Big Tens and Nationals. And Johnson would wrestle and win the Big Tens, and then he would go down a weight for the National Tournament. Wow. Pretty sure. Check wow. out your facts. I will. So he was, Mark Johnson was, you know, a coach for me in, you know, my first years of college with uh he was uh, gable's right hand man so to speak and you know you talk to the teammates in that class you know mark ryland bart chelsvig um you know me and terry and and doug striker and mark johnson was a strong favorite um in that wrestling room for us he was um, a straight shooter he was loyal um and you had to earn that loyalty. And if you were on his bad side, I don't know how you ever got back on his good side because <laughs> he he was uh, he was a guy that didn't have a lot of time to waste with um, kind of wishy-washiness. Um, you know, you say that name that brings back a lot of good memories and, and obviously a lot of um, development for us. Yeah. And so you start wrestling, you get into high school, you win state title. Then you get to Iowa. What was it like your first month or two here? Was there a tough transition to go through? Again, we were ignorant. Um, we All we knew is to fight. We fought with each other our whole life in a healthy way. It was, we, were, we, didn't, we just knew to fight. And that ingredient hasn't left my philosophy. Um, when guys put their head down on the mat and let guys run around behind them or they quit trying... Uh, that's a metaphor for failure. And, you know, you look at how life is, you don't get a lot of chances. First of all, life goes quick. Um, and second of all, your health goes quick, meaning <laughs> I couldn't do it now if I had to. I'm over 50 years old right now. And and I, I don't know how you put that ingredient into somebody, um, but you try to do it every day uh, because, you know, talent is more prevalent than fight. And fight and attitude and accountability is a talent. 
And for some reason, you know, Terry and I had that. And so when we got to Iowa, we got better and we didn't even know we were getting better. And all of a sudden, after half a year or three quarter of a year, you're in that wrestling room and you're not beaten, but you're going even and getting the best of them some days, some pretty dang good guys. And you're looking around, you're going, you know what? I'm pretty good. Yeah. But you didn't look around and get a big head because somebody would knock it off. And, you know, I mentioned Randy Lewis when we were just catching up in, in the background before this interview started. And Randy Lewis is one guy that I never got the best of. So there was always somebody that was, you know, above you that would knock your block off. Joe Melchiori, I've been choked out one time in this sport and Joe Melchiori did it. And I remember waking up and he was laughing hysterically and slapping me. Hey, <laughs> wake up, Brands. <laughs> And you know what? He But he also spent 45 minutes with me on how to choke people out and then how not to get choked out. And I never got choked out again. Right. And I can guarantee you that there were people that tried to choke me out. <laughs> so it was that ingredient where you had people like Barry Davis, Randy Lewis, Joe Melchiori, Brad Penrith. They would beat the holy living tar out of you, but then they would spend time mentoring. And it wasn't just one guy. It was almost everybody and the guys that were selfish they were the ones that are irrelevant to this day you know they were the ones that weren't successful so there's a correlation of ingredients there and and do you see that now with like spencer lee when the new guys come in he's there to beat the tar of him but then also to mentor him yeah and that's what i'm saying i mean it's uh it's something that you know we encourage of course we have great examples um that's the reason why bobby telford's on our coaching staff is for a second year um, and people will tell you that Bobby Telford is outstanding. And, and the reason why is because he's not selfish and he's, he's, a he's a good ingredient and a good teacher, but he's not selfish. Um, so, you know, you ask, you know, what was it like? I mean, we didn't know, we, we just knew how to fight and it was a good ingredient, that fight and that accountability. And, um, all of a sudden, you know, we're, pretty good and it's because of gable structure it was a loose structure meaning it was an independent structure but um you know you you could definitely get crossways with him but i can tell you i never was crossways with him there was there's two times where you know i remember like kind of like man i i better shape up here um one time i sat down in the middle of a mat during a match and was calling the guy for stalling um and ran back to the center of the mat. The match was still going, and I sat down in the middle of the mat and kind of waved him on. And when I got when I walked off the mat, he looked at me and he just said, "You better worry about your wrestling, stud." You know. Wow. <laughs> so, um, and how old was, were you when that happened? I was, uh, I don't know, sophomore. I, I don't know. But that was totally uncalled for. But you know, you're frustrated out there, and I ended up stalling the guy out of the match. So, you know, I was probably more right than wrong, but you don't act that way. You know, it's humiliating to your opponent. That's not showing good sportsmanship. And then, you know, but what the heck, right? <laughs> and the other time was in the practice room where, you know, I just kept running my mouth and he just said, why don't you just kind of, why don't you get out of here? And it was just like that. And wow. So, but there was never like where, you know, there was a, situation where our relationship wasn't ever strong i mean 
being on the same page with Gable was easy for Terry and I because of our probably more our fight and attitude than our talent, you know, in wrestling skills or anything else. And, um, you know, we didn't know that though. You don't, you don't know that. You just know, looking back on it, that it was a good ingredient and there was a lot of overlap there probably if you want to describe it in a certain way. Yeah. That overlap was very healthy. Well, and you got there at a time when, you know, Gable talks about how he had to find new extremists because in the early 80s, he kind of set the bar with his work ethic and, you know, he would show people what that next level was. But when you got there, you also had the Steiner brothers there. Uh, we were older than them. Um, so, yeah, they were, they impacted us, but not in a leadership way, in okay. a peer way where... Peer, two ways, peer, P-E-E-R, and then peer, P-U-R-E, I guess. They were very pure, and, you know, all four of us never, we didn't drink alcohol in college, and uh, we were very committed, and they would boil their chicken, <laughs> and and because that was the most healthy way to eat it, or, or whatever, you know, they didn't fry it with, with oil, you know, they boiled it, um, and, and, you know, they would run when it was 20 below zero, they would run outside, and um, you know, they were, they were purists for the sport of wrestling. Um, we were different. Um, I didn't boil my chicken. I needed more energy than <laughs> just chicken in a, in a boiling pot. I needed that butter and oil or whatever you put on it, those <laughs> herbs. And, um, I needed it for the, the, the fuel for my body. But, um, we complemented each other very good in a lot more ways than just, um, being workout partners or peers on the team, um, it was a one, two, three, four punch, and then throw Zapital in there at one eighteen, and so it was a one, two, three, four, five punch, and then throw Tom Ryan or um, you know you got Ryland after that, and then you got Chelsvig, and then you got Pfizer, and then you got Ozendorf, and then you got an All American Doug Stryker who didn't make the team after his sophomore year because Terry Steiner beat him out. So he had a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven punch um at the end of that in ninety one and ninety two. So yeah, and, and you talked about Gable needing extremists or whatever and you know, I remember in the dorms we were kind of rowdy maybe and it was a good fun group in the dorm there with, with some guys and um you know, the coordinators at the dorms, they found out that Terry and I didn't drink alcohol because they met with Gable because of some some issues we had. And it was like, what in God's name makes them boys tick if they don't drink alcohol and they're acting like this? And it was just, you know, just being what you would say is high energy. But But Gable admitted that, you know, maybe he went astray after, even in the 80s when he was still successful, even in 86 when they one going away with only eight qualifiers and you know he knew he admitted that he gotten away from you know the discipline it was more like the hard charging hard partying type atmosphere and he turned a blind eye to it because of the success they had and he admitted that they maybe they got caught up to that way but you know Steiner certainly had a big part in bringing that back and that yeah that work hard play hard of the 80s that really wasn't the case with the new era so to speak in the 90s um when was the first time you really connected with gable where you realized how much he cared and loved for the athletes because that's something that everybody i talked to it rings true 
Yeah, and it wasn't about trying to win his favor. It was about keeping your head down and doing what the coach asks and and doing it at a high level. And that's all I knew. That's how I trained in high school, and um, that's how I was raised. If you don't do your job, then you're going to get a boot up your butt, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so you know, I I don't I just knew that I was treated right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was some situations where um, we came in on a certain amount of scholarship money, and our second year here or so, we had to um, give back some scholarship money, and never batted an eye. It wasn't a conversation. And I remember Gable kind of being nervous, having some nervous energy when he brought me in to talk to me. And I was, it was a 30 second conversation. I was like, Gable, do whatever you want to do. You know, I, I didn't matter to me. And, and, and my approach at the time was that money, I'm not, I never, I've never worried about money. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. My parents were split um, at a young age and, you know, my mom raised two kids by herself. Um, money still isn't to this day an issue. My wife handles my finance. I don't even know what my salary is to, you know, the dime. I know I make in a ballpark, but I don't know what my salary is. Um, so I just knew we were taken care of. You talk about, you said something really interesting earlier. When you got here, you're working out real hard every day. I mean, that's an understatement, but really hard every day, pushing to the limit. Three, four months in, you're starting to notice you're starting to beat some guys and you're saying, hey, I'm pretty good. One of the progressions I'm most fascinated by is your battles with Alan Freed. And so, because in high school, you guys wrestled, he got the better of you. But then throughout college, you progressively started beating him more and more and more. And you beat him five times in college. What do you remember of those battles? I remember getting beat up in high school and uh, bad, really bad. (laughs) Um, I remember losing a match at the UNI Open um, and Gable gave it to me in the newspaper and Gable was absolutely right um, and he never did that so that was an eye opener but the next day he comes up to me and he said you know I think I was probably a little rough on you and he apologized but didn't say I apologize but he apologized. I think I was a little bit rough on you on the, in the newspaper and it was like a six to five match maybe and, uh, you know, that kind of like, I want you to be rough on me. I don't care. I got, I, I, you were right. Um, I never had thin skin. Um, you know, growing up, I was raised that way. So when you do something that isn't going to get you where you want to go and this people, these people around you that are mentoring you, they know that where you want to go, they need to kick you in the butt. Right. So he kicked me in the butt and then, but he said something to me. And so. You know, I don't know if I really knew how to take that or not. I, you know, and then, but you were in the ballpark with the guy that, you know, was a phenom, but, you know, we're after the same turf, you know, and then another thing happened where we had a, a senior get up and the, and the senior talks, they were pretty rough back then. And I won a national title that year in 1990. Well, Freed had redshirted and one of the seniors got up and was a, um, he was a non-starter, but he, his seniors got the mic at the at the banquet at the end of the year, and he said, um, "And Tom Brands would like to thank Alan Freed for taking a red shirt so he could win a national title this year," and that really pissed me off. 
I was motivated, and I could probably speak for Terry a little bit, more to prove people wrong in that category, whether it's healthy or not. And you could say what you want. You can even say that, well, motivation isn't even a thing. Well, you know what? Depends depends on how you define motivation. You know, if, if well, motivation, you know, it's easy to be motivated one day and not the next. Well, that's not how I define motivation. Motivation is is what I wake up with every day, and I still fight every day to beat the competition. Um, I'm just fighting a hundred opponents instead of, you know, my weight class. So that really pissed me off. And here's this no name senior, and this is how I looked at him. He's he's a good friend of mine, but this no name senior that wasn't even in the lineup, but was probably third or fourth string gets up there and says that, and that stuck with me. And so there were three things there with Freed. Um, one, you're kind of closing the gap, but Gable still called you out. And so what did Gable expected me to, he didn't expect me to close the gap from a tech fall, which was 15 points when Freed beat me in 1985 or whatever it was, 86, you know. Um, and then it's a six to five match and I basically blew you know, and then the first time I beat him was in the All-Star meet the next year, and I kicked out. He was in on my leg, and I kicked out, and my shoe came off. <laughs> and um, I bit through my tongue, and that's when I started. After that match, I started wearing a mouthpiece, and I ended up beating him in overtime. Um, so that, you know, then, and then from there on, I, I had gotten the best of him, except he pinned me in 42 seconds in the Midlands uh, my senior year the next year. So your, that's, that was your senior year when that happened. Yeah, he was a worthy opponent. I was undefeated as a junior and had a whatever match winning streak, and then, um, you know, Midlands finals my senior year, he he pinned me. But didn't you beat Freed in the finals your junior year too? Yeah, I I I'd gotten the best of him when I beat him in the All Star meet. I had beaten him. I beat him in the U.S. Open one year. You know, you go back and beat him in the finals of, in '91 and '92. I beat him in a dual meet. I beat him in an all-star meet, and the first time I beat him out in Penn. Yep. Um, in the Palestra. And then uh, beat him in an all-star meet here after he pinned me in the Midlands. So, you know, there was... Momentum had shifted at that point. Yeah, but it, he was a worthy opponent. Right. I he mean... He was a worthy opponent. He was gracious, too, you know. He was, uh, um, you know, looking back on it, you know. At the time, we were up to the same real estate. So, anyway. Yeah, no, that's... It's fascinating because you but look you at... But you talk about... I'm not, I don't mean to interrupt you. You no, talk please. about Freed, and it's, you know, I'm talking about it. I'm giving myself credit, but this is about Gable. And there were three things that happened, you know, and, and, and you know, two of those things were Gable. Gable gave it to me in the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and then he apologized for it. <laughs> so what's going on here? You know, there's some mind games going on there. And it's the only time that I really remember where, you know, this guy, you know, he's he's pushing some buttons here. Everyone says that about him. that He played mind games in a, in a certain way. So Barry Davis said when he wrestled Bobby Weaver as a true freshman, Bobby Weaver was the Olympian in 80. They get to a duel. Barry's got to wrestle Bobby. And Gable goes up to Bobby. He's like, how you doing, Bobby? Great to see you. Like he was being all chummy with him. Barry Davis gets pissed off, goes out there and beats him as a true freshman. Yeah, and that ingredient is rare because Gable was probably genuine with his. He, he, I don't think he was pushing Barry's buttons. I think Barry imagined it. And I'm not speaking for Barry or Gable. 
but I just think that ingredient is rare. And you see the rage right now in all these books with these these veterans and these people that are in the special forces, and and they're great and they're they're inspirational. But you, you know, I don't I don't I mean, there's not there's very rare air with people like Barry Davis. You know, he wasn't just a nice. He was very very competitive and. Um, you know, where his his teammates kind of maybe made fun of him because he was a fanatic. Yeah. He took it over the line, though. Yeah. And yeah. he was like, you know, I'm a, these guys are they're making fun of me. Yeah. You know, they're, I'm going to embrace this. You know, they called him Sparrow, Sparrowhawk. And that was a shot at him, um, even though he embraced it. So the Sparrow became kind of a badge of honor for him because he turned it around on him. But they, the teammate, you know, they're, they're people get insecure, you know, sometimes. And I remember one time a guy that I looked up to, he made fun of me because my socks were dirty. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? I'm not a pretty boy. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares if my socks are? That pissed me off. And I wanted to, you know, give it to him and win matches because he's in my <laughs> you know that's demented right and and my hero you know in the media was john smith because i read articles about you know his mindset and what know, do you remember from those articles i remember that he didn't care what got in the way of his success and there was one thing and that was wrestling and there were some relationships personal relationships with people that suffered because they got in the way of what he was after and don't take my word for it go read the sports illustrated articles when he was winning six world olympic championships in a row in a row and you know you got to be careful putting a guy in a platter because you're after the same turf as him to this day yeah um but when I say be careful, you still the history is important. And that's rare. That's rare. And the older I get, the more rare it is. Right. And I know you guys wrestled in the US Open. When you were a young guy, he was at the peak of his career. Yeah, and he beat me fourteen to four and I couldn't walk off the mat because the ankle lace he hit me with was so damn tight. <sighs> so a lot of learning there. And I remember the tech fall then was more than ten, so I finished the match. But I remember I kicked a chair walking off. And he, he was like, what the hell? He kicking a chair. He didn't, he didn't deserve to kick a chair. What does he think he's going to go with? So, you know, I learned from that, <laughs> you know, but I wasn't kicking a chair because it was disrespectful to him. And like, I, I was kicking a chair because I was really, really upset with my performance. It was embarrassing. You know, I was pissed off at me. You know, I wasn't disrespecting him, but he took it. And that, see that, that imagination that's who you are. That's who you are. You can't just stop it. So anyway, I don't know if this is going off like the tracks right now. No, no, no. This is, I, the, all these conversations I have with all these wrestlers, you guys are all my heroes. So these are just fun conversations to have. And I mean, this is all part of it because that's part of your journey. And so when you think about, you know, Gable after a loss to Kendo Cross, your sophomore, freshman year in the semis, or losing to Chad Zuniga at the Big Tens, where he did the sprints in the parking lot. Yeah, David Zuniga. David Zuniga. What What do you remember about Gable after a tough loss? Because he suffered some heartbreaking losses of his own. Like, how would he react to you and 
kind of bring you back? I don't think he needed to do much because of how I was wired. And I'm not saying that not to give him credit. You know, I didn't go run sprints, you know, in the winter football snowy field at Northwestern University after the Big Tens my sophomore year because Gable said, go run sprints. You know, that was a decompression valve for me on my own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he didn't have to say much to to s- stroke or fan the flames or what add fuel to the fire. It was there. And like I said, I mean, we got better because of his genius. And I don't know what that genius was. We meshed. And it was a it was an explosion of great ingredients that when they came together and it took time because we weren't very good wrestlers looking back on it. So I don't know if he had to do much, but he would say something. I remember we were getting ready to go to Penn State and, you know, I, I was a first year in the lineup and it's before Christmas. So it's early. Um, and. I was remember we were getting ready to go. We were leaving either that afternoon or the next day, and it was a light workout. We were drilling. I was working on some things with, I was wrestling Jimmy Martin, um, you know, and he had beaten Penrith the year before. So this is a worthy opponent, and I'm getting ready for him. And Penrith is actually my partner. We're working on some, you know, Jimmy Martin throw the legs in on you. So we're working on that, and I just remember Gable coming by, and he goes, you know, Brands, if you're if you're gonna lay down for this guy, I'm just gonna leave you at home, and then he walk away. So you didn't have a chance to respond, even if you were, you know, a smart aleck, which yeah. I wasn't. Right. Um, he just knew how to get under your skin like that, though. That's amazing. And not just you, everybody, but yeah, he did it. I don't know how amazing it is. I think it's it's combined. I mean, some people might take that wrong. I mean, there's some people that that might really, you know, and so it's just, it's. I think he knew the right buttons to push it's like don't you think he knew he knew each athlete so well that's what allowed him to do that like he took time to know them. i think that he would obsess over the details he was very careful and when he got to a point in his brain where he knew he had it solved he would go forward but that took sometimes it took a while to get to the decision there's two stories that i've heard consistently from other interviews about you and coach gable the first is an apple story do you know this story where he's throwing apples yeah i was a true freshman and i was wrestling um a veteran and i was was one of the workouts i had that was really good for me and i was one of those where when it was over you're looking around you're going how did i do that i mean I'm, i'm pretty damn good um and I remember these guys, and the goats kept going. And people were freaking out. And um, one guy in particular was freaking out because the it was like one more of these type things. And so what would happen is we'd go a go, and then everybody think you were done. And the game would go, one more, one more of these. <laughs> and then um, these, these guys started freaking out. You're a, Everybody says you're a man of your word. You're not a man of your word. I just, I was a true president. I kept my head down, just kept wrestling. And all of a sudden, the guys that were breaking, he would chuck apples at them. And so there's apples rolling all over the room. And I remember wrestling around all these apples rolling, you know, between my legs or between me and the opponent I was wrestling. And Oh, my um, God. <laughs> you know, that's funny stuff. 
What about um, is another story that I heard. I don't know if it's true or not, but your senior year, you had a knee injury, I think, and not a not a serious one, but it was kind of around. And you were supposed to wrestle Oklahoma State, and Gable says you're not wrestling this week, and then you you kind of went to the locker room and you go, no, I'm wrestling. Like, do you remember that situation? Or I remember getting hurt. I got run into by a group from the you know outside your wrestling area. And so I was wrestling and then another group came in and hit me and my knee popped. Right. And I went and wrapped a Bible around it. <laughs> and it, it was instantly healed. Wow. So you believe in divine intervention or not? Right. Yeah, I don't know. You think that's hokey? You know, you believe in it though and it uh, worked. Of course I believe in it. Yeah, and absolutely. Of course it was real. And you had a Bible in your locker. I had a Bible in my locker. I have a strong faith. Um, and I wrapped it around my knee. So, no, it was, there was never, I, I, I didn't miss a match. Um, was very fortunate with injuries, but, you know, also also fought through, um, you know, some things. So, And one of the things I want to do in the documentary, we'll wrap up here soon, is kind of take the listener into what it was like a day in the life being a Hawkeye. And so, um, you know, Lincoln Macri has talked about how he tried to do the, the three workouts today with the Steiners for four years. He, you know, he didn't do it after his freshman year. It's too much. What was your day in the life like? Let's say we're February, your senior year. What time are you waking up? What's your day like? Uh, you're, here's the thing. Your edge is created through routine and discipline and attitude and fight and consistency in all those areas. So, you know, what works for you is what works for you. And if you need to change, you know, it, it's not extreme changes. It's little adjustments. So what McElravey's saying to you is absolutely right for everybody. He was smart enough to realize that, you know, he probably wouldn't have made it if he tried to, you know, duplicate what you know these two crazy twins were doing <laughs> um i know that when i went into that practice room that it was very very important to me and so everything went into it um and if i went in that practice room and i went into that weight room at seven fifteen in the morning before your classes everything went into it it wasn't um something that was you know where you were lazy and you did it just to check the box and so the decision to stay out of the room is as important if you don't if you need the rest is as important as the decision to go into the room or when you do go into the room the decision to work and put everything into it um, again looking back on it a very rare ingredient when you're beating somebody and something goes wrong in the middle of that and you can correct that when the momentum shifts against you and you can correct that, that's a rare ingredient. Um, and being able to correct when you seemingly are unraveling, that's a rare ingredient. But it's a very important, essential ingredient. Mm -hmm. um, or if you're getting the tar beat out of you, all of a sudden you turn the momentum and then you feel your opponent raise the level to try to get back to where he's beating the tar out but you prevent that and then you just turn the whole 
workout around. That's a rare ingredient. Yeah, absolutely. There's a toughness. There's a sand in your belly that is uncomfortable to be able to do that. And it's rare. And going back to my point with all these self-help books, with all these special forces guys, you know, I don't know how many of them even have it. Just because you could put it on words doesn't mean you have it. It's too rare to have that many guys. Right. And, you know, I know John Smith had it. I know Jordan Burroughs has it. I saw Jordan Burroughs make his first world team in a battle with, you remember who it was? Andrew Howe. Mm. And he had to wrestle his butt off when he was fatigued and tired. And he won because of one thing. And that's because there's a certain unique characteristic of Jordan Burroughs. And I give him a lot of credit for that. And there's a reason why he's been so successful. Um, Oregon Sargush in the quarters that year at the Worlds. I mean, he was down. Well, the the guy's pulling a singlet. I mean. Yeah, in the well, Olympic Games. I yeah. Mean, what did Jordan Burroughs say? He had to beat Sargush in the Olympic Games in London. And what did Burroughs say at the end of that tournament? I would have double-legged the Queen of England to get that gold medal. <laughs> and it's funny. And the media loved that. And he was smiling when he said it. But, you know, I don't think he's joking you know that that's a that's something that's real and when you look at his performance and you know i might be speaking for some of these guys but i think there's rare qualities there with with um you know competitors that you can you know do it the right way absolutely and it's like it's kind of a i don't know if grit's the right word to capture it but it's, it's a tough tough quality to capture in words and as we wind down i just have three questions i've sourced from my family they're huge iowa fans um the first one is when you think of you know we've talked about john smith um he actually said in an interview i wish i had 10 time brands on my team because of the way you wrestled so like we've talked about him a lot today and i know you respect him a lot and you're competing against him but like what's like a couple of things that come to mind in terms of his ability not just to wrestle but to coach when i went to virginia tech is the best that my relationship was ever with him. <laughs> um, I think I was, you know, off the competitive radar, not because he's a jackass, um, just because he's very, very competitive. Um, it's icy, but there is respect there from my perspective, looking to him. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to, you know, shrink from the task. Um, he's a worthy opponent. Question for me is I'm big into like visualization and meditation about if you want something like I love doing this podcast, I visualized interviewing you years ago before I even contacted you. Did you ever uh, use visualization or like goal setting or kind of like envisioning what you wanted back in your days? Very important. Um, very prevalent in my career. Um, and it wasn't just visualization. It was visualization, but it was a written word. I have a stack of notebooks three feet high um, full of things and professions and um, what I will accomplish and what I can accomplish. And there's a lot of opponents' names in those notebooks. And visualization was very important to me, and I was introduced to it um, at a developmental camp uh, when I was a sophomore in high school and very... Um, revolutionary for me and very eye-opening really um so very important and it's something that is also very rare because it takes work 
It's very, very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the psychology of things, there's 60,000 thoughts that go through a person's brain or whatever the number is on an average day and a majority of them are negative. And you say, well, just turn those negative thoughts into positive. Well, you know what? It's hard to turn those negative thoughts because of how we're hardwired and because when we were you know, way back when and we were living in caves and there were saber-toothed tigers and, and uh, wild beasts that would eat us, that when you're walking at night, there's doubts in your head and you're looking around your surroundings and you're, there, there's negative thoughts. There might be a bear in that brush right there. And so that's a negative thought, but it's a th- negative thought that prepares you. And so those negative thoughts, they create fear. And so what are you going to do with that fear? And that's where visualization and that positive self-talk comes in. So that was big for you back then. Big, big for Terry and I both. And, you know, we implemented into our program um, you know, some guys look at it like it's, it's a, it's witch doctor stuff. And, um, I had a guy, Tyler Nix that I, he was a very good wrestler and he could have been great. And I don't think he really realized how great he could have been. And I tried to get him to do that and it just wouldn't, wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. You, you still know? do it now as a coach? Yeah, absolutely. And meditation is prayer. Prayer is meditation. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time in, 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 um, meditation and prayer and self-talk and this is my journal coach same thing i i, I do it all the, every single day and it's good to get it on the page because sometimes those l- negative thoughts can linger for a while and it's like what the heck's going on in there you got to get it out well we're all problem solvers it's just that some of us take a longer time to solve the problem and if you're not disciplined it, it's a waste of time and right so you know we got a lot of problems to solve this year everybody's giving us credit right now they're crowning us or at least hey you're in the conversation and I know you've been in the conversation every year with your team, but this is really a team that you can do some damage with. And, you know, it's, it's, I feel like people are saying you already won almost at this point. Yeah, you we know? don't, we don't change how we operate. No, we just, but, but there's a lot of problems to solve. I mean, I, I was in the practice room yesterday and I saw a lot of talent in that room, put their head down and let guys run around behind them. And that cannot happen in that wrestling room. And how do you deal with that? How do you talk to these guys in a way that's constructive, but it sends a message, but it doesn't belittle them? Mm-hmm. And so that's the problem you got to solve. And that's what Gable was great at. And that's what separated Gable from everybody else, or maybe what's separating Kale Sanderson right now. And you say, well, Kale Sanderson doesn't matter. Yeah, well, why doesn't Kale Sanderson matter? Because he's whipping our butt right now. You know, 20 years from now or whenever Kale retires and then 20 years after he retires, you're going to look back. You're going to be talking about the genius of Kale Sanderson, what made him tick. And people criticize him, they criticize him, they criticize him. But you know what? He's the opponent and he's the benchmark. And so, but it's not about beating Penn State. It's not about beating Penn State. It's not about beating Penn State. It's about being the best that we can be. And if that happens, then we'll be where we want to be. We're after the same real estate is more than just Penn State. That's what I love about Gable, and this is my last point here, is a lot of people think he was all about, you know, four-time Big Ten champ, four-time NCAA champ. And of course that he was, but from from what I hear from a lot of people, such as Tom Ryan, it was more about being the best version of yourself. Um, yeah, okay, now best version of yourself. Now let's rip that apart here because that's what all these books say. Yeah. Be the best version of yourself. That I, I don't I don't like that. The best version of yourself. What does that even mean? <laughs> and so you have to define what that means and then apply that to your life. 
because a best version of yourself, that can also be a cop out because, you know, I'm just not willing to be, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be the version of myself that I accept and that I'm okay with. And it's healthy to be okay with maybe not being the best. I don't know. I don't know. And so the rare Let's ingredient go. now is how do you get what you want? And hard to do. I love that you say it's a cop out because it kind of is, but no one says that. Well, there's a, whole, there's a whole row of books. You go to Barnes & Noble, you go on Amazon or whatever the booksellers are these days, and there's a whole row of books that tell you, you know, what to do to be the best version of yourself and that's be okay with yourself and da 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 and da, da. I mean that freaking chick that kicked the freaking winning goal or whatever that was the the star of team USA and the women's soccer you know I don't I don't think she's worried about the best version <laughs> of her I think she's worried about kicking the winning goal so how do you get to that point I don't know, man. Yeah. The Obstacle is Away by Ryan Holiday. I'm going to look forward to reading it. I think Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Uh, the last thing I'll say about Dan Gable is, is, you know, wrestling for Dan Gable, he was the best. And he took care of us in a way that made us accountable and made us fight and, more importantly, made us want to fight for him. And you know what? You would jump on a grenade for him. And that's rare. If there was a grenade that rattled in that, re in that wrestling room and you were next to it, you would, you would have, and not everybody in that room would do it. And they're the ones that probably didn't. Barry Davis would have jumped on a grenade for me. He said that yesterday. Okay. Well, I'm speaking for him. That's and crazy. Yeah. And Barry Davis, I love Barry Davis. You talk about contagious. I mean, he would give it to you. He was a mean bastard in that room. And I remember my shoe came off in a scramble one time. And this is when I was looking around after six, eight months and going, hey, I'm pretty good. And I remember my shoe. See, my shoe, that's a theme. My shoe came off. <laughs> that was my secret trick. But my shoe came off in a scramble and he kind of hesitated because, you know, you hesitate when the shoe comes off. And I, I, I plastered him. <laughs> and so he hesitated and I took him down. And I remember how pissed off he was. And I just remember going, Barry, you taught me not to let up ever. So it was a credit to him that I kind of cheap shotted him because I knew he yeah. let up. Yeah, yeah. But I also cheap shotted him with some words and said, Barry, you let up and you taught me to never, never let up. So here's the student, you know, turning the tables on you who, you know, I give you full credit for me kind of cheap shotting you when you let up and reached down to grab my shoe. <laughs> so... Barry Davis, I mean, I, can't, I I mean, this is a trip down memory lane, but thing about Gable is you got better and you didn't know you were getting better and all of a sudden you were pretty damn good. Take on the world. It's a great way to wrap it up, Coach. Thank you very right, much. Thanks. Appreciate it. And all great things must come to an end. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Give us a review, give us a rating, and share this with your friends. It would mean the world to us. Thanks for listening to Wrestling Changed My Life.